So Grace Marriage begins the week, uh, Thursday night, the 23rd of February for the Thursday night group, and Sunday the 22nd, or 26th, excuse me, for the Sunday group. Now, you need to sign up by next Sunday because we need to, the beginning or the, that week, the 13th or 14th, we're going to be uh, ordering the materials for that, for the number of couples that have signed up. So you need to sign up by next Sunday, the 12th, for that. It is for couples, and so uh, it would be a great way. We, we invest time in lots of things. And uh, in premarital counseling, uh, the challenge I, one of the challenges I try to give as I do premarital counseling is this. We spend hours and hours and hours and thousands and thousands of dollars for a 30-minute ceremony, which is nice. But how much are we putting into a lifetime commitment? And so the challenge, no matter where you are in your marriage, if your marriage is new or been around for a while or if things are great and you would say you're a nine out of ten in your marriage if you if you uh, had to rate it one to ten or if you're saying you're a one out of ten for any of you this will be a great opportunity to, to pour investment into your marriage so I encourage you to uh, to look into being part of either the Thursday night group or the Sunday morning group, Grace Marriage. It's six sessions, and uh, we'll do it spring and fall. It's different materials uh, for each of those two, but I uh, want to encourage you to sign up for this spring session of Grace Marriage. You need to sign up by next Sunday. There's information out in the foyer. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, as we come before you, May we recognize that you, as Almighty God, care about us. And Lord, you, you provide for us, and we are grateful for your provision. Help us to be wise stewards as we desire to honor you in the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1845, there was an expedition that was led by uh, Captain John Franklin, British, who was sent to explore the unnavigated or some of the unnavigated sections of the Northwest Passage of Canada. The expedition included 129 officers and men traveling in two ships. But as they were going along, their ships ended up stuck in the ice. And eventually, all 129 people died. Now, this story involves a dramatic tragedy, and you can, you can read books and documentaries about the Franklin Expedition. While we're very sad about the dramatic tragedy, there's an interesting aspect, really sad in itself, which points to what Paul teaches us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 19. You see, the sailors realized that they would not be able to break free from the ice. The ships were going to be stuck there. And 
some of the men began to die, they decided to build sleds and attempt to walk to an outpost over the frozen ice and into the land and hopefully find an outpost. Uh, the closest outpost was actually several hundred miles away and, and they got nowhere close before they all had died. Years later, skeletons and items from their desperate attempt of survival were found. And looking at it, it, it there's uh, a few of the men that actually made it around 200 or even a little more miles from the boats. And uh, in the sleds and from the Inuits who lived around, they found some interesting things. They found food and boots, which was wise. But they also found fancy silverware, silk handkerchiefs, hair combs, books. You see, these people filled a great deal of space and added in a large amount of weight with things that did not provide any value to their situation. But we can face the same struggle when dealing with the focus and goal of our finances and our possessions. We put a great deal of effort and time attempting to accumulate things that may have very little value. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. This morning we're going to focus on verse 19, but as we've done the last couple of weeks, uh, we're going to read verses 17 through 19. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, says this, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, verse 19, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life, really summarizes what Jesus teaches us about our goals with finances. In, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, it's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus focuses on what should be our goals financially. He goes on later to say to talk about how God will provide in, in later in, verse, in chapter 6, how He takes care of the birds of the air. He will take care of us. And then he concludes the section in verses 33 and 34. Verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. But in verses 19 through 24, which really is, is pictured and summarized here in, in 1 Timothy 6:19, we see that Jesus looks at three, we can call them couplets, a comparison of two things: two treasures, two perspectives, and two masters. First of all, the two treasures. Verses 19 through 21, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Two treasures. Where do you seek to put your focus in your treasure? Is it during this life? Or are you seeking to make an eternal difference? A.W. Tozer put it this way. He says, ask yourself four questions. Question number one, what do we value most? What's most important to us? Secondly, what would we most hate to lose? Question number three, what do our thoughts turn to most frequently when we are free to think of what we will? And number four, what affords us the greatest pleasure? As we're reminded of in verse 17, God's given us all things to enjoy and we need to be thankful for God's blessing. But where is our focus? Where do we desire to put our treasure? Now, God is not saying don't invest. He is saying invest wisely. If you're involved in financial things, they have a term, ROI, return on investment. When investing, we want a good return. If you go to your financial advisor, and that's a good thing to do, you go to your financial advisor, you're planning, you'll be looking at things and your financial advisor will share ways that you can have a good ROI, a return on investment. And we need to invest wisely with our earthly possessions, but we need to make our main focus our eternal treasure. That's where our return on investment is greater, is greatest. We looked a few weeks ago as we were talking about contentment and also struggling with greed. We looked at a quote from Jim Elliott, missionary who was killed by the Aka Indians. And he got it right when he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. C.T. Studd was another missionary, and he said this, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Where are we putting our treasure? Where are we focusing on? And not only do we see the two treasures, but we see the two perspectives. Paul reminds us to build that foundation in verse 19 to focus on eternity. Matthew 26 or Matthew 6 verses 22 and 23 it says the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is good your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness. And you say well, so what's he talking about? Well if you look at the context around it. He's talking about where is our focus? What are we looking at? What is our perspective? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, we call it the, the faith chapter, the great hall of faith. And, and the author of Hebrews pauses in the middle of sharing these amazing stories of the faith of some of these Old Testament heroes and he's sharing of people like Enoch and, and Moses and Abraham and Sarah. And, and in the middle of this, he, he sort of stops and, and gives a 
mid-story summation. And he says this in verses 13 through 16 of Hebrews 11. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And we're going to stop there for just a second. These people, they, they died in the faith, but they were looking ahead for the promises of God. They recognized God had promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 the hope of salvation. And these people, and, and the, the people that were there in that Old Testament, those heroes of the faith of the Old Testament, were looking ahead to the promises of God. And although they did not realize those promises during their earthly lifetime, they realized that those promises were what they needed to focus on. And it's the same with us. So let's go again. Verse 14, it says, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What's the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying, listen, yes, they have a different focus. They trust the promises of God and they look forward to them. And they recognize that they're just a pilgrim here on earth. This life is just a small dot in comparison to the line of eternity. And because of that, they had an eternal perspective. Matthew 13.44, Jesus tells the parable of the hidden treasure. It's interesting, it's a parable in one verse, very, very short. But it has a very powerful message. Matthew 13.44 says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The man knows that there's a treasure there in the field and everything else pales in comparison to the value of that treasure. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is what truly has value. And we should focus on that because nothing else compares to its value. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 8, the Apostle Paul said this, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish or garbage, that I may gain Christ. Nothing compares to the value of my salvation and my focus on God's kingdom. Eternity is much more important than my life here on earth. Randy Alcorn shares an interesting picture to help us understand the importance of this proper perspective. And he, and he shares a, a story. Suppose you were a northerner living in the south near the end of the Civil War. The war was about to end and you knew that the north was going to win. And you had a large amount of Confederate money. What would you do? Of course, 
The obvious answer is you would trade it in for U.S. currency recognizing that your Confederate cash in the very near future would carry very little value. That needs to be our attitude while living here on earth. Well, our resources provide for our needs during our short lifetime. It has little lasting value. Our focus should be on what lasts. And where are we going to use our focus, or where are we going to use our finances, our possessions, for eternal benefit? And that leads us to the last of the three couplets that Jesus shares, and that's the fact that there are two masters. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We have two masters. We can't make both God and money our priority. We must choose one. While determining our master, we must ask this question, what drives us? What controls our life? Now, obviously we need finances and we can enjoy what God has given us, but our focus needs to be on what makes a difference. There are two treasures, two perspectives, and two masters, and we need to choose wisely. We've talked from the beginning about the dot and the line. And so we see the importance that there is a dot, our life, but we need to focus on the line of eternity. Verse 17 reminds us, enjoy the dot. Thank God for all He provides. But verse 19 reminds us to focus on the line. What provides lasting value and builds that good foundation for eternity. Listen to what David said in Psalm 39. King David says this, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my day as hand and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man, man at his best state is but vapor, Selah. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. They heap up riches, or he heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Now that passage in all of Psalm 39, as David writes, reminds us of our focus. It reminds us to, to be thankful for all that God has provided, but to recognize that God wants us to put our hope in Him. If we remember earlier in 1 Timothy, in verse 17, we, we shouldn't put our focus on uncertain riches, but rather in the living God who gives us all things to enjoy. Let's store up a good foundation for the time to come. So in 1 Timothy 6, Paul reminds us, so we think of those five principles we've been looking at over these last five weeks concerning money and things. If we go back to verse 6, we're to live a life of contentment. 
Verse 6 reminds us that godliness with contentment is great gain. What does it mean to have contentment? My joy, my satisfaction, my happiness is not based upon my situation or my circumstances in life. It's based upon my relationship with God. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, I can be content in any situation. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to abound. In other words, he says, I've learned how to have very little and I've learned how to have much. But in each of those, I have learned to be content. No matter my circumstances, I can be content. And you notice that Paul said, I have learned to be content. Our natural response is our circumstances control our contentment. But Paul is saying, listen, your circumstances don't control your contentment. Your relationship with God does. And God can help us to be content whether our situation is bleak or whether it's overflowing. We can be content. And by the way, we will never succeed in money and possessions and money and things if we are not content. God desires for us to be content and to have victory in our finances and things. We have to live a life of contentment no matter our circumstances. And then in verses 9 and 10, don't be controlled by greed. Those verses tell us to, to not focus on money and, re, and that the love of money is the root of all, of all kinds of evil. Where is my focus? You see, these all overlap, all five of these principles. If I'm not content, I will always want more. And as I want more, my focus will be on things rather than on God. And when I'm controlled by greed... I will not be able to succeed. And then demonstrate gratitude as we are a steward rather than an owner. Verse 17 says that we can trust God that He has given us all things. He is the one who owns it all and we are a steward. If I treat my things as an owner, I will hold on to them tightly and I will be controlled by them. But if I live my life as a steward, it's God's who is allowing me to enjoy it, then I will not have that emphasis upon greed and to hold on to things tightly. And then in being a steward, I will thank Him for His blessing as I recognize all that He has given me rather than it's mine. And then verse 18, give generously. Verse 18, do good, be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Do we do well in our generosity? Now, it was cool this week. We gave you a homework assignment last week. Be generous, whether it be financially or with your time. A specific opportunity that you take advantage of to be generous and some of you wrote back this week and and shared with me some of the things that happened and and, and one they were like okay and 
on Monday at their workplace, there was an opportunity for generosity. And they had done something recently before. And, and so they told me that their first thought was, okay, well, I, I, I did something before. And then they said, but you know what? I'm going to step out and do this. And, and others where, where they saw opportunities to be generous. And God encouraged them in that attitude of generosity. That's what we're called to do. And then verse 19, focus on the goal. We should store up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come, for eternity. Enjoy the dot, live for the line. Focus on the line. Where is our focus? Is it on what can I accumulate here on earth? And as David says in Psalm 34, that someone else will end up with? Or am I making a difference? Am I using what God has provided for me to make a difference in this world? And to make a difference for eternity? That's what we're called to do. And as we look at it, money and things can be a great stumbling block in our lives. We all have desires, and it's not wrong to have desires, but when our desires for things here control us, then it's sin. But can we say, look at what God can do through me for His kingdom. And then we can rejoice greatly in the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness, for Your love. I pray that You would help us to recognize that You are the owner and that we're stewards. Help us to recognize while You give us things here on earth to enjoy, our focus must be on making a difference for Your kingdom. Pointing people to You. To lay up treasures in heaven to build that foundation for the time to come. And we will give you the glory for what you do in our lives and what you do through our lives for the power and glory of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.